This is John Beatham with AlternativeHealthTools.com, the podcast, and today this is episode 54. It's titled Crohn's and Bipolar Disorder, A Story of Hope and Recovery, subtitled Recovery is Remembering Who You Are and Using Your Strengths to Become All That You Were Meant to Be. Today, we have Serena Goldsmith on the show. It's taken me six months to get her in the studio, and finally today it happened. Although we're everywhere, and you can get us on iTunes and Google Play Music, Stitcher, Android, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, RSS subscriptions, subscribe by mail, and also on YouTube, the easiest way for you to get our content for you and to share it with others is by going to our website and downloading the app. And if you just go to alternativehealthtools.com, and at the top you'll see a menu item for About the app. And you just click on the red spot there that says get the app here and you can just download it from there. The other way to do this is do a search in your Google or iPhone store and just do a search for alternative health tools and you'll see the app there and download it. This episode has extensive resources and information, and we're including that within the app, which is another good reason to download the app. So if you go in the app, you'll see the links to the PDFs and everything else that we're going to be including with this particular episode. So do enjoy. So welcome back, everyone, to Alternative Health Tools, the podcast. And if I have it right, this will be episode 54 with Serena Goldsmith, who I've been trying to get into the studio for, what, six months, Serena? Has it been that long? Yeah. Wow. I think it has been. Time flies. It, it flies and everything in its perfect time. Yeah. I so, agree. So we were just talking about what we're going to talk about and... Uh, um, you know, we're not sure what the title's going to be, but it's going to be around healing bipolar and depression, which I'm really excited to. Part of the reason is because the stigma that we had talked about earlier, there's stigma about. I really have no idea what it is. When I lived in Santa Fe, I had a really close friend of mine that was quote unquote bipolar, <laughs> but it was like I, I couldn't tell. I didn't know what was going on, you know. So. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things. People who do struggle with symptoms of mental health conditions are afraid to talk about it often because they don't want to be judged by people because of that stigma, mm-hmm. not just external stigma, but also internalized stigma mm-hmm. from growing up in the society that mm-hmm. you know kind of gives us sometimes subtle messages that it's not okay to yeah. experience these things. Yeah, well, for mm-hmm. those people that have listened to this show a lot, they know I think labels are for pickle jars. Yes, so, I tend to agree. Yeah, good. <laughs> so we're not going to make the focus of this episode about you, but it did inform you on your career. Yes, for sure. My healing journey, mm-hmm. um, starting from the age of 20, um, has led me to the work that I do now mm-hmm. and to a lot of the understandings that I have, perspectives on health and healing and recovery, um, in mental health conditions and physical health conditions. Okay. Um, when I was 20, I started having symptoms, um, physical symptoms and mental health symptoms. Um, and I ended up being diagnosed with both Crohn's disease and bipolar disorder right at the same time so in my life. Can you tell us one at a time what's Crohn's? Yes. And maybe some misconceptions <laughs> and what's bipolar and misconceptions, just briefly. Sure. Okay, so Crohn's disease is believed to be an autoimmune condition Mm. that affects the intestine, Mm. and it has a strong genetic component, so it's actually four times more prevalent in the Eastern European Jewish population, Mm -hmm. and that is Mm. my family's background, so I was lucky to get that genetic predisposition, you could say, Mm -hmm. Um, and I started developing symptoms when I was halfway through college. I studied in Mexico for three months. And that's kind of when everything started for me health-wise. I was subjected to a lot of different stressors, both physical, Mm -hmm. mental. Um, So that tends to be how those conditions begin. Typically people with, um, you know, things like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, other mental health conditions, especially more of the serious ones, tend to come out late teens, early Mm. 20s. Um, and same with Crohn's disease, it tends to be that age. When so it's really early, and it's all based around stress. 
they, if you ask, ask experts, um, stress does not cause these things. Correct. Like I said, for both of them, there's a strong genetic component. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's a fragility or a sensitivity. And when mm-hmm. that gets stressed, <laughs> when there's stressors or triggers, mm-hmm. environmental triggers, that can kind of start mm-hmm. the symptoms. Um, and if it wasn't those things, it could be something else that later may have triggered it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it is possible to start seeing symptoms later in life. Um, but typically it's that age, late teens, early twenties when people mm. start having symptoms. Yeah. So as far as you asked about misconceptions, yes. Um, so I'll go back a little bit to Crohn's disease. So it affects the intestine. It's the immune system overacting and attacking parts of the intestine and not turning off when in a normal situation it would turn off Mm -hmm. and they don't know why that happens necessarily. Um, And also in bipolar, um, the brain, well, I've come to learn that the brain and the gut are very intertwined. And so I don't believe it was a coincidence Mm -hmm. to that. I developed symptoms of both. You know, that was focused in my gut and also in my brain at the same time. Uh, do you know the work of Dave, Dr. David Perlmutter? Yes. Yes. So yes. I've learned a lot about the relationship between gut and brain. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our neurotransmitters are created in our gut, hmm. and that directly impacts how our brain functions and the balance when that gets off hmm. center. How does it typically of- get off balance? There's a lot of things. I mean, in our environment now, there's a lot Mm -hmm. more toxins, I think, than there used to be. And people who are sensitive to that or have those predispositions, you know, when imbalances happen, it's Mm -hmm. not as easy for us extra sensitive people to get that balance back. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's more than food, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, I was ultimately able to heal both conditions with, I mean, diet has definitely played a huge role in my healing. And lifestyle factors Mm -hmm. as well. So there's a lot of different things. And those are the things that I share when I work with my clients um, Mm -hmm. who have what are termed severe and persistent mental illnesses, Mm -hmm. um, diagnoses like mine, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, schizoaffective Mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are typically what we see in the clinic where I work. Mm -hmm. And these lifestyle factors and diet and Things like getting good sleep and exercise and having a routine and having a support system. Mm -hmm. And all of those things, I believe, can be even more effective than medication and treating and recovering from those conditions. Yeah, and I think the person that listens to the show, and thank you very much for doing that out there, is that we say that a lot, is that, you know, food, let food be thy medicine. Yes, so was it a, was it a cleanup of the diet and going organic or? You know, this is, so I was diagnosed when I was 21. Mm-hmm. I started having symptoms the year before mm-hmm. and I'm 45 now. Mm-hmm. So this is a 24 year journey we're talking about. Yeah. By the way, you don't even look close to 45. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I get that a lot. Uh, yeah. Which I'm grateful for, I guess, having young genes. My parents look young for their age too. So yeah. I'm lucky in that sense. Um, yeah, so over the years, I did a lot of research and Mm -hmm. I took it upon myself to learn as much as I could about diet, you know, because Crohn's directly affects digestion Mm -hmm. and, um, it just seemed like common sense that diet would be very connected to the symptoms. Mm -hmm. And a lot of GI doctors that I was seeing didn't necessarily see it that way and, you know, MDs in general don't tend to have a lot of nutritional training in medical school. No, I've, I've heard about five hours. Yeah. Yeah, and five hours, and that's not to diss <laughs> doctors at all. Right. It's the they, services they provide are invaluable. I agree. Yeah, and it's I've seen over the years them get more open-minded and interested in mm. the area of nutrition and Great. taking it upon themselves mm-hmm. to learn because they don't get a lot of that training in medical school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so back when I was diagnosed, there was even more, I think, um, not being open mm-hmm. to how much of an impact diet can make on the, on the disease. Right. And um, 
there was a lot of, I would hear, well, you know, if you're having a flare-up, then only eat, you know, the brat diet or bananas, rice, applesauce, and toast, um, things like that. But typically they would say, you know, it's autoimmune, um, diet isn't going to make much of a difference in it. And I've found that to be not true for me. Yeah. And for a lot of other people I know that actually have been able to not just manage, but pretty much heal the condition through diet. Mm-hmm. So do you recommend people then get a nutritionist? Yes, I think that can be very beneficial. And for me, I discovered um, a book called Self-Healing Colitis and Crohn's. Self-Healing Colitis and Crohn's. We'll mention yeah. that in the show notes, folks. You can get it at alternativehealthtools.com. Yeah, so the author is Dr. David Klein. And he healed himself of ulcerative colitis over 30 years ago. Mm. He was very ill at that time, a young adult in his 20s. And they were about to remove <clears throat> his entire colon because he had gotten so sick. And it was life-threatening at that point. So he found a mentor that taught him about healing principles, especially diet. And it was a natural hygiene type philosophy, which... really. That involves food combining, not just what you eat, but also what you eat at what time and how you Mm -hmm. mix foods together Mm -hmm. to um, make digestion as easy as possible. So uh, just out of my own curiosity, because years ago I sort of came to the some sort of teaching that said, you know, mixing um, mixing like proteins or meats and starches, not such a good idea. Right. And so and I feel that. I mean, if I did that, I could feel that "Eh, something's not right. Which brings up, you know, I really encourage people to really take notice on how they feel. Yes. Right? I agree. And over the years, like I said, I did a lot of research Mm -hmm. and I experimented on myself. Yep. Because I was searching for answers and I couldn't know whether they worked or not until I tried it and saw. And I'm grateful for that experimentation. There were some times when it actually didn't work out very well. Mm -hmm. And I got very sick a few times and almost died one time. Um, And yet, (laughs) I, I don't regret that. Because if I hadn't kept trying things, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am now. So was it a wake up call for you? I think this, the whole journey has been a wake-up mm-hmm. call, um, and it's woken me up to continually desiring self-improvement, mm-hmm. to learn about myself, to learn what can help me, mm-hmm. and therefore possibly help others. Nice. Now that I've learned a lot of different tools um, for both of these conditions, which I believe are health tools that can be used for all conditions and just for all people Mm -hmm. desiring more optimal health. Mm -hmm. It's um, very usual here on the show that person sitting across from us had some sort of condition. They were able to heal themselves and it took them on a journey to do something in that particular area in terms of career. So tell me a little bit about that, because I know, I believe you're an educator, correct? As one thing you do. Yes, I like to call myself a recovery educator, um, because I have a passion for educating people about, especially mental health, um, because Mm -hmm. there's still stigma around mental illnesses, not so much around physical illnesses. Mm -hmm. So that's led me to want to speak more about the bipolar, my experience with bipolar disorder, because there's not as many people willing to stand up and talk about that, their personal lived experience. There's a little bit of shame involved. Yeah, I I believe so. I've seen it come a long way from Mm -hmm. the time I was diagnosed 24 years ago. There Mm -hmm. was a lot more stigma then Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't talked about Mm -hmm. and people felt like um and families felt like it was something to hide we Mm -hmm. had to Mm -hmm. not tell people what was really going on yeah um and now i've seen that change a lot over the years which is wonderful um but we still have a long way to go and i see it more subtly now and i see that internalized stigma more often where people feel it they're doing it to themselves yeah whether there is any external um, mm-hmm. or, you know, that happening in their mm-hmm. outer world, mm-hmm. they still have that inner, it's, I don't think it's okay to share this. Or mm-hmm. if they're dating, when do I mm-hmm. tell this person about it? You know, um, what are they going to think? Mm-hmm. And in my experience, I found that as I got 
well, for one, got more secure in my health Mm -hmm. and my confidence in being able to manage the condition. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I feel extremely confident that I am the master of it, that it has no control over my life anymore. Um, So it makes it easy to be very open about it with people, at least for me and all the speaking I've done. Um, It's been a very healing experience. The more I speak out about my experiences and the work I'm doing now, um, the more I heal all the past feelings around, oh, it's not okay to talk about, what are people going to think? So I find that when I do, you know, do talks, um, it creates a safe space for the whole audience. And in doing this podcast, I hope that it has that effect as well for people listening that it's okay to talk about this. Not mm-hmm. only is it okay, but it's important mm-hmm. um, for everyone's health because, you know, so many people are affected by mental illness. People don't realize that one in four people, 25% of our population in the U.S., will at some point in their life be diagnosed with a mental illness. Mm. And typically that's depression, anxiety. Those are more common than things like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Um, so you're not in your speaking engagements. You're not talking just to the early twenty year olds or mid twenties or even thirties. You're speaking about mental illness in general, regardless of what age group, right? Yeah, I find that everyone is touched by it in some way or another, yeah. whether they themselves have dealt with family symptoms, member. family members, close friends, spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've met someone yet who says they have no, you know, it hasn't yeah. touched them. Yeah, so, I, I've had my issues. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm hope I'm happy to talk about it too. You know, I've, there was a period where I was suicidal. I have a twin sister, and I called her, and she simply said, "You know, just promise me one thing: if you get serious about it, you'll call me first. Mm. And she's my twin. I'm getting a little emotional about this, but it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a good sister. Yeah, beautiful sister. She's my twin. <laughs> My womb mate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think a lot of times people are afraid about the suicide mm. discussion. Mm-hmm. And some people think, oh, well, you know, if they have a friend who has shown signs of that or has mentioned it, mm-hmm. some people think, oh, well, I shouldn't like talk about it too much because it might make them do it. Mm-hmm. Or I've just seen, um, you know, people not sure what to do when that comes up. And I think you brought up a really important subject because I also was very close to ending my life at one point in a very deep depression. Um, in my highs and lows of bipolar, I had very severe symptoms. Mm. Actually, more severe. My manias were longer and more severe and more intense than I think anyone I've yet to meet. Mm. And I work in a clinic. We serve a 1,000 clients in North County of severe mental illness. Is that, a th- is that a thousand a year? Yeah. I mean, we have total about a thousand clients. We Right now so you have a thousand clients? Approximately. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Wow. And we're a clinic that serves people with without private insurance and mm-hmm. often with not a lot of resources, low income. Mm-hmm. Um, they often deal with homelessness and mm-hmm. substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of self-medicating for people who have these conditions, it's very common. Mm. You know, because when you're having symptoms, you're, if you're extremely depressed or you're having a lot of mood instability or anxiety, mm-hmm. it's natural to want to reach for a substance that's going to make you feel better. Mm. You know, so it's very common. And we see that a lot. A majority of our clients deal with substance abuse issues in addition to a severe mental illness diagnosis. Mm. So. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I was just thinking there's, you know, in. You know, we recently did the Alternative Health Tools Practitioners Party, which was fabulous. So glad you were there. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. great. to be there. And I, in talking with people, some of these people, as I get to know them, actually most of these people I've talked to have all had a period in their life where suicide was like considered. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know what the stats are and sort of don't care, but it's like pretty darn high. Yes. It's more common than people realize. And I think if people knew that they weren't alone in those feelings and they felt safe to talk about them, there'd be less people acting on Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. because that's part of it. I know for me, I felt very alone 
mm-hmm. at that time, even though I had family mm-hmm. there to support me and friends who wanted to support me. But when I was in that very dark, hopeless, helpless period of depression, many periods actually, um, no matter who was around me, I felt alone because mm-hmm. I couldn't connect. Mm-hmm. Not even within yep. myself. That's, I felt very I disconnected. Mm-hmm. And from my spiritual life, too. That's mm-hmm. always been a very strong source of support for me throughout this journey. Mm-hmm. And in those very deep depressions, I felt like I couldn't access in my connection to God or my spiritual life. And so it was a very isolated, dark place, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, yeah, we we've done a podcast, actually a couple of them with Rebecca Freedom. Did you get a chance to talk with her Sunday? She was there briefly. So. Okay. So Rebecca Rebecca's addiction <laughs> counselor and breakup rehab counselor and she's just sort of powerhouse coming out with a book herself. I mention it because um she said in one of the podcasts, I don't remember which episode, that um she felt <laughs> felt like disease and lack of wellness was an absence of God Hmm. or spirit or that sort of connection. Yeah. I, I would agree with that in my experience that when I was in those depressions, my vibration was very low Hmm. and it's when my vibration has been higher and I'm talking on an energetic level Mm -hmm. um, that I do feel much more in touch with my spirituality Mm -hmm. and with, you know, all the good things in the world and feeling hopeful and feeling excited about life and all the things that I've really felt. You know, my 40s have been the best decade of my life so far. Yay. Yeah. So hey, I'm here to better. tell you it only gets better. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So I felt that as my health has improved, both physically, mentally, mm-hmm. spiritually, um, I'm able to maintain that spiritual connection nice. a lot easier. Yeah. You know? So we went down the dark path. Let's go down the light one, which is where, you know, can you talk a little bit about the hope? Yeah. You know, hope is, I think, one of the most important things in mental health recovery. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the um, five key recovery concepts that Mary Ellen Copeland's organization talks about. And the Copeland Center is um, looked up to as kind of the standard for mental health recovery. Mm. And I was um, privileged to become a facilitator for their curriculum. It's called Mental Health Recovery and RAP, W-R-A-P. And it stands for Wellness Recovery Action Plan. Nice. And as part of this curriculum, there's five key recovery concepts. And so hope is number one. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason it's number one, because we all need hope. And when you're dealing with a serious mental illness, you need it even more because there's a lot of hopelessness that comes with that. And there's not still, even with all the recovery movement, um, which has often been led by peers, people with lived Mm -hmm. experience of mental illness, um, there's still a lot of people not aware of those ideas that you can be diagnosed with a mental illness and then get to a point where it doesn't affect you anymore. Mm. Where you're, you know. The, well, it's because it's uncovered, right? It's talked about. That's you, one reason. And you deal with it. Yeah. And I think in the past, like when people were institutionalized because mm-hmm. of mental illness, there was this belief that um, it was something that you would always have. Mm-hmm. And it was an identity. And I still see that in our language when we call someone a bipolar mm-hmm. or a schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. It's very... In other types of conditions, we don't refer to the person by their condition. Mm. If someone has cancer, we don't say, oh, that's a cancer over there. <laughs> you know, but yet we say he's a schizophrenic. Oh, yeah. I see. And people diagnosed with these, you know, it seems subtle, but it's, it's a big thing. Language yeah. is very powerful. Yeah. And how we define people, people take that on and it becomes their identity. Mm. And I think... Um, that was a big part of my healing path was changing my identity that I wasn't just a patient uh, with bipolar disorder and Crohn's disease that I was a person with a lot of strengths. Yeah. So you related to yourself differently. Yeah. And I started seeing 
all the other things about me and those conditions became a smaller and smaller part of my life and of my identity. And I think that's really an important area I want to bring out Mm -hmm. when I talk to people, whether I'm one-on-one with clients or in groups, um, that there needs to first come a shift in our beliefs. And hope is a big part of that belief, you know, that for one, it's possible to get better. Recovery is possible. And the definition of recovery that I like, which is what I received when I, um, or what I learned when I was being trained as a peer support specialist, which is what my title is at the clinic right now, um, is recovery is remembering who you are and using your strengths to become all that you were meant to be. Say that one more time. Recovery is remembering who you are and using your strengths to become all that you were meant to be. That is a great line and a great subtitle for this episode. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, and it's not my quote. (laughs) I had to give credit to Recovery Innovations is the organization that uh, trained me to get certified as a peer support specialist. And I really resonated with that statement because when I first heard the word recovery in relation to mental health, Mm -hmm. um, I thought, oh, does that mean I'm cured and I never have to take medication again? I never have to think about bipolar again? And it doesn't necessarily mean those things. It doesn't mean it doesn't have to mean those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But the focus is on more of how we live our life and the meaning and purpose in our life, the fulfillment, you know, how we're having goals and reaching those goals. Um, So, yeah, I like to um, use that definition Mm -hmm. with people. So when you're working with your clients there in the, in the clinic, I mean, these are the things you're talking about. Yeah. Can you, yeah. Do you have any uh, cases, no names mentioned about uh, someone that uh, you've been working with a while and in particular case and maybe a shift? that they experienced and you experienced as well with them? Well, I, I can say that I always learn things from my clients Mm. and I like to empower them to find their own answers Mm -hmm. because I believe that we all have the answers within us. Mm -hmm. And so if I were to tell them, Oh, you have to do it this way because this is how I did it. Mm -hmm. Um, that that wouldn't feel right to me and it Mm -hmm. wouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. Um, I can be there to guide them and to encourage them and to offer suggestions and resources and um, share relevant parts of my own story Mm -hmm. um, and still hope Mm -hmm. and encourage them, kind of draw out in them the answers Mm -hmm. that they need to keep moving forward Mm -hmm. and deciding their path. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own unique recovery path, Mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. So without giving specific details um, of any one client, I would say, you know, over the, I've been there for about four and a half years now. And sometimes I'm, um, other staff or clinicians will refer Mm -hmm. clients to me that they kind of are not sure where to go from there and, um, say, well, let's try Serena. (laughs) Let's give them to Serena because she can fix it. So it's it's wonderful that they have that approach. In yeah. other words, they, it's like when you're at a loss, you ask for help. Oh, yeah. It's an awesome team we have. That's great at work. We all work together. It's very collaborative. And I've always felt welcomed mm. as part of the team there. And I know that's not always the case for people who do peer support work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're seen as a little bit lesser than. Um, and I've never felt that way at the yeah. clinic where I am. So I think you know that needs to change, too, as people see the value mm-hmm. in lived experience. And um, I also think that the person has to be ready and in a yeah. place in their life where, you know, their health is solid enough that they can work and be responsible and do all the things they need to do. Because mm-hmm. if they're not in that place yet, I can see how other coworkers would get, could get frustrated or mm-hmm. feel like they're not, you know, doing the yeah. job there. So is it, is it a matter also the, the uh, clients that come in, or is it a matter of, matter of sort of levels and degrees? In other words, somebody comes in, I'm, you know, somebody comes in with, I don't know, something that's not so severe. Could you work with them too? Well, we have specific criteria. Okay. Um, our clinic is with mental health systems and we're mm-hmm. contracted with San Diego County 
okay. to provide the services that we provide. Okay, so there's so, a referral system. Yes. Okay. Yeah, if someone doesn't meet our criteria, we refer them to a provider that can work with them. Okay, and then what is your criteria, basically? Um, well, the category is called severe and persistent mental illness. Okay. Um, so that typically are diagnoses, like I mentioned before, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. schizoaffective, conditions that a primary care doctor typically wouldn't treat because mm-hmm. it would be a little bit outside of their expertise right. and scope. And also um, our clients need um, cannot have private insurance or we'd right. refer them to a different provider. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm asking because when I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, I had some what I thought was probably some learning disabilities. Um, I went to go see a psychologist that was really well known in the Southwest for working with people with ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. Spent four or five hours with them testing and all the rest of it. And, and uh, what was interesting is the guy had a severe case of ADD. Hmm. He even asked me when he, when he um, created the bill, he said, would you please review this to make sure I have it correct? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then I read a wonderful book by Tom Hartman called The Edison Gene about okay. ADD. And I discovered that actually it can be a gift. Yeah. So that's how I use it. That's, or that's how I, yeah, that's how I use it. That's great. I feel that way too about bipolar disorder. That yeah, say more. It's a gift. It's a gift. Um, there's actually a lot of positive attributes to it. Mm. And I've found that in myself and a lot of the clients I've worked with tend to be very creative, mm-hmm. think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Very or, or create new ones. Mm-hmm. Very bright. Yeah. Um, and just cool people in general. Yeah. <laughs> Often yeah. sensitive, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, when we're sensitive to other people's emotions mm-hmm. or for me, I'm sensitive to everything, chemical sensitivities. I'm extremely sensitive. I'm very emotionally sensitive. I pick up on, Mm. you know, the emotions around me. Um, So I've had to learn how to protect myself that way, you know, in working with a lot of pretty severe symptoms. And my last internship, I worked with um, San Diego Regional Center. So, oh, I'm in a master's program of social work. So I'm doing internships. It's been challenging to get you in here for that reason, right? Yeah, that's been part of the reason my schedule's pretty wild, (laughs) more demanding than I've ever had, I think. Um, yeah, so in working with the clients I've been working with, I've need, I've needed to learn how to, I guess, stay, you know, when someone's in a deep, dark hole Mm -hmm. to not go down there with them, Mm. to stay up at the top and help them. What do you typically do? It depends. It depends. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone's unique and it's learning about them and it's developing that rapport Mm -hmm. and trust Mm -hmm. and then going from there, Mm -hmm. learning about their goals, Mm -hmm. where they want to be and helping them reach those, but. I've found in my own spiritual journey, um, it's become a lot more possible for me to stay in more of a spiritual perspective when Mm. I'm working with clients and not to feel sadness or pity or Mm. even sympathy, um, but more empathy Empathy. and also seeing Mm. them as a spiritual being, Mm. not verbalizing that. Everyone has their own religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs or it's very personal. I never try to challenge that or even discuss it if it's not something they want to discuss, but just holding that within myself, that Mm -hmm. vision of their higher self Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that they're very courageous spirit to take on a path like that Mm -hmm. because it's a very challenging path. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talking about misconceptions, I may have a misconception. I've always thought that schizophrenia were, you know, basically a condition where people are just like a little bit over the edge. So once again, when I was in Santa Fe, I knew a lot of artists, mm-hmm. musicians and healers and stuff like that. And what was amazing is that there were a lot of the really good ones would go right to the edge without going over. There was just this, you could just tell it was just like one step too far and mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be too much. So it's a fine line. Yeah, it's a fine line. Genius yeah. and madness is what they say. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's what I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of my clients that I've worked with are extremely artistic, mm-hmm. creative, and all different forms mm-hmm. of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant 
in a lot of ways. So, so could it be? Think, sa- yeah, could it be said that? Okay. It could it be said that some of these people actually, once again, have a gift, but maybe don't know how to harness it, use it, or they've got something going on in their mind that, or, or something that that frames it in a way that's just negative and. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, definitely. And I want to be careful how I answer that question because Mm -hmm. I don't want to deny the level of suffering that Mm -hmm. can be there with Mm -hmm. these types of conditions. Um, I've experienced extreme physical pain with the Crohn's disease at times Mm -hmm. when I was having flare-ups. And yet the suffering I experienced with bipolar symptoms was so far beyond the physical suffering. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for people to understand that if they haven't experienced it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to minimize the kind of suffering that comes with dealing with symptoms of schizophrenia or bipolar or you know, depression, anxiety. All of those things um, can be so much suffering for someone. And that's what kind of fuels my passion is possibly, hopefully, alleviating some of that suffering mm-hmm. and the years that could it could go on for me. Like there were years and years of where my life just felt like I was enduring suffering. Hmm. And if I can be someone that helps a person shorten that time frame mm-hmm. for them to get to a place of healing, mm-hmm. um, then that makes it all worth it. Mm-hmm. If it's just even one person. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yes, reframing can be a very positive thing and looking for the good Mm-hmm. And something, and that's what I feel has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. And my mom in raising me, I know I've told this story quite a bit before, but she called it looking for the strawberry, which <laughs> is the strawberry is the good mm-hmm. in whatever situation, no matter how difficult or challenging or dire a situation seems, there's mm-hmm. always some good there. Yay, mom. So you want to find it. <laughs> and uh, I talk about that, you know, with my clients and. I think as someone is able to see more and more of their strengths and whether it comes with the condition or it's outside of it, or, I mean, we're all one. can't really separate our mind from our physical, from our spiritual. Um, then I think they're more able to rise above all the challenging things mm. and keep adding to their wellness tools. That's a term that um, mm-hmm. is in the Copeland training, wellness tools. And those are very individualized for each person like what works for them to help them stay well and Mm -hmm. help if they're not feeling well to help them feel better and that's kind of what the definition of wellness tools are Mm -hmm. um so i just you know schizophrenia can be a very devastating diagnosis Mm -hmm. because it's a difficult condition um and the symptoms can be very difficult sometimes there's a lack of insight from the person experiencing it that they're not aware that it's an illness they believe that you know they're constantly being followed if there's paranoia going on or delusional thinking or i mean i have experienced in my manias a lot of psychosis Mm. which is people often fear that word but it just means a break with reality Mm -hmm. so my sense of reality was different than the majority of people and who's to say it wasn't right i mean there's so many dimensions i believe and so many levels of perception and I was in an altered state Mm -hmm. and whether my normal state is, you know, any more real than my altered state, I don't know. I mean, I knew when I was experiencing it, it all seemed very real. Mm -hmm. And some of those experiences were very spiritual for me, Mm -hmm. kind of mountaintop experiences. And I don't regret them, although it was also very destructive for my life Mm -hmm. physically. And I lost jobs and relationships and money and, um, there's a lot of things that go on that most people experience when they're having a full-blown manic episode. Mm-hmm. It can be pretty universal. A lot of things like shopping sprees and dangerous behaviors and um, not making good judgments or decisions. And I was lucky. I think I had angels watching over me in those states because nothing really bad happened to me. Um, and part of it was probably because I would end up in a locked ward of a hospital and at least I was somewhat safe in that, you know, I couldn't go out and do crazy things. But yeah. so seeing the gift and the diagnosis. Um, yes, I think when someone is, is at that stage mm-hmm. where they're ready for that mm-hmm. and um, 
then it's a really important part of the recovery process. And even like changing the narrative or changing the story, you know, we all have that power to look back on our life and change, rewrite the story because it's the past anyway. Yeah. You know, it's not really real. Yeah. Oh, the only thing that's real is our memories of it. And, and you can change how you feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. How you see it, how you feel about it, how mm-hmm. you um, go from where you are now mm-hmm. into the future, mm-hmm. how you let that change, you know, how you see things from now on. Yeah. I've just seen your toolboxes being extremely diverse and full. Yeah. And I keep adding to it because I yeah. think I always can. There's always room for more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you. I've learned a lot. over this journey and I'm excited to share what I've learned um, with others and well I want to I want to figure out a way to continue this education on this on alternative health tools or something you know I'm serious I I have this feeling you've got a a course inside you or several and maybe it's some of these speaking engagements and I understand you're in school so might have to wait yeah I graduate in May 2017. Okay. 2017? Okay. <laughs> it's not too far away, right? No, it's not too far. I'm 75% of the way through. That's fantastic. That's great. So Thanks. I wanted to ask you this. You talked a little bit about history and everything else, but can you talk about one defining moment where everything just like changed for you or you made a decision? You know, I think finding Dr. Klein's book was a defining moment in so, my life. That title again? Self-Healing Colitis and Crohn's. Got it. And I embarked on that um, when I read the book because I found it in some obscure way. I think I saw it mentioned in a blog online somewhere. I don't mm-hmm. even remember what blog or what. And for years and years, I'd been searching, you know, for everything I could find that was natural and that would help me. And I never came across it mm. until three years ago. It was June um, 2013 when I started this program and I read the book and I had the sense that, Oh my God, this is going to change everything. And I also had a sadness that I wish I had found this book 20 years ago because mm-hmm. I think he had written it back then. He had been written for quite a long time and I wasn't really thinking so much about the, the mental health. Mm-hmm. I was just focused on really, improving my physical health and mm-hmm. getting a handle on the Crohn's for good. Like I'd made a lot of progress with it, with mm-hmm. all the research I'd done on my own, but I never got to where I thought I could be and where I wanted to be with the symptoms. And, um, Until you read Klein's book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I started following the program with his mentorship. He was working with me over the phone mm-hmm. and through email, and he offers that service. Mm-hmm. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. He's awesome. He's helped over 2,000 people with severe GI issues to Mm -hmm. heal heal Mm -hmm. them. And he's had a 99% success rate. Wow. According to him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing. Like, I've never heard of any other kind of treatment (laughs) that can say that. You know, so um, when I, so I started it and it took me several months to get through the initial cleansing, healing, Mm -hmm. detoxification process, which was difficult to go through. Um, and once I got through that and I started adding in more things into my diet and getting stronger, building back up my muscle and my strength, not only was my physical health better than I'd ever experienced it, but mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. was a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even expecting that because I wasn't doing it for that. And I thought my mood was stable at that point. I thought I was doing well with mm-hmm. the bipolar stuff. And yet my default mood changed to joyful, mm-hmm. whereas before... I didn't realize that could be my default. I, there was kind of a fear against being too happy because that meant I might be going into a manic episode. You know. Wow. So now um, it's very easy. Well, I don't know how to say very easy, but it's kind of become um, the norm for me to manage everything with this new program. And so that was a big turning point for me. That allowed me to make the decision to go back to school mm-hmm. after I got my bachelor's degree over 20 years ago. So I hadn't been in school all that time and to jump right into a master's program, it took a you know leap of faith. Yeah, no kidding. And I no, had to be confident enough that I could handle it. And so yeah. far going through two years, I've handled it. My health has 
you know, I've somehow made it a priority. Yeah, well, it's to be celebrated. You could celebrate that every day. (laughs) Clink. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Klein introduced me to this woman, Susie Hoseas, who wrote Healing Bipolar and Depression. Yes. I'm looking at the book right now. Yeah. And so that was at the beginning when I was concerned about following this because it seemed pretty far out there from, Mm -hmm. you know, all the things I had looked at and tried. And um, so talking with her really helped me feel comfortable about embarking on this program because what she did was very similar diet, very similar lifestyle changes. And she was able to heal her bipolar symptoms, which were very severe also. Mm -hmm. And reading her story, I really related to it because her symptoms were like as severe as mine, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I haven't found too many people who've had as long manic episodes as I have that last Mm -hmm. for six months where I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating very much. Um, I'm just going, 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 Mm -hmm. racing thoughts and racing body. And um, six months is pretty unheard of for Mm -hmm. a high like that. It's like, imagine someone high on cocaine for six months straight. Like That would be... I have no idea. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, it's hard for me to understand how my body survived that kind of state for so long. It yeah. creates physical, extreme physical exhaustion. You know, mm-hmm. I could have died from a heart attack in that state or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, reading her book, too, made me feel confident that I was following the right program. And, yeah, so I think, you know, I know you had asked about my diet earlier, mm-hmm. and... Basically, I follow a vegan diet, um, so no animal products, and primarily fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. as close to the state that nature provides them in. So not a lot of cooking or processing, or I make a lot of green smoothies. Yeah. Um, I don't add protein powder. I don't use oils, no salt, um, just the whole foods. Yeah. Because fats and oils, from what I've learned, are the hardest to digest yeah. of all the different foods. And Do you know Dr. Ginger by any chance? You ever heard of I her? I don't think so. She was on Oz last summer. Okay. And I've got a recording I did with her I'm going to release in a couple of weeks. But she got known and ended up on Dr. Oz for the rainbow juice diet. Mm. So it's just incredible juicing, like rainbow of fruits. I don't think a whole lot of vegetables, although I don't know. When I first started Dr. Klein's program, I was juicing every day. Uh-huh. And I have a juicer and um, What do you use? I'm just curious. A Champion? Oh yeah, Champion. I uh, yeah. I had it from when I was a teenager cuz that's oh. when I first got interested in vegetarianism and mm-hmm. I read Fit for Life. Yep. Harvey and Marilyn Diamond who promote a natural hygiene yep. philosophy. So I've kind of come full circle, you know, and going back to natural hygiene. Yeah. Um but yeah, juicing can be great. I found that after I got through that cleansing period and letting my GI tract rest um, then the fiber was more important and I could hmm. m- handle it. And I think fiber is really important. So when you juice, you are taking the fiber out. out. Yeah. Um, so if you're not getting enough fiber, then you yeah. need to somehow get it. Well, you have a champion, then you have your Vitamix. Yes. And I make a lot of green smoothies, yeah. <laughs> which keeps the fiber in them. Yeah. yeah. So um, basically, I get a lot of my calories from fruit. Mm-hmm. And during the day, that's what I eat, fruits and greens. So by greens, that means lettuces and all different kale and um, things like cilantro and parsley and leafy things, celery, cucumber. Yeah. And the other vegetables I save for dinner. So more of the starchy vegetables. I do lightly steam things like yams and potatoes and squashes um, sometimes when I want more cooked vegetables. So I'm not a a raw vegan, like Mm -hmm. people who are raw vegans, they don't steam anything Mm -hmm. typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but close to a raw vegan diet because I don't um, typically eat grains. Mm-hmm. I do my best. I feel my best when I'm not eating any grains. People say, oh, Me well, too. do you eat gluten-free? And I'm like, well, beyond gluten-free, kind of grain-free. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of vegetarians rely on beans, and I don't eat beans. Um, they're hard for me to digest. So it's pretty much sticking to the fruits and vegetables and then nuts and seeds more sparingly. So, so can I boil it down to the fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, the things that make you feel better? Like if it doesn't feel good doing the beans, you don't do the beans. Right. And right? there are some times when my body will crave things like 
yeah soybeans yeah. and i eat some and i'm fine because my body wanted it exactly you know and so i'm open to that i'm not rigid or right. super strict about oh i have to be following it exactly this way i i listen to my body and it tells me now very clearly the messages are much more clear than they were before i started this yeah um and it's immediate too like if i eat something i can even smell it and tell mm-hmm. you know this well, is what i want this is what i don't i know yeah. you know that I have my new priority really is just, you know, you know, body, do you feel it? Mm. And you can know it's true because you do feel it. Yeah. And so it's like, cause way too many people are running around not feeling much. Yeah. And I think, you know, our lifestyle, our fast paced mm-hmm. now, 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 um, mm-hmm. and swallowing a pill is a lot oh, easier than yeah. going out for a half hour brisk walk. Yes. But I think the walk is probably more effective than the pill as yes. far as depression. I mean, there's a lot of studies that show, um, exercise can be as effective, if not more effective, than oh, yeah. antidepressants. And getting sunlight and good sleep and all of those things. I don't, you know, one of my things <laughs> that I do want to speak out about that I feel a passion about is how in the mental health field we equate treatment with medication. Mm-hmm. The word treatment, mental health treatment, primarily means medication. And so if a patient is being non-compliant with their medication, that word just irks me because there are valid reasons to not want to take medication. doesn't mean the person doesn't want to get well or they're being resistant or they're not being, they're being a bad patient. I felt all that, those things in the past when I would go to a psychiatrist and not want to follow what they said. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I wouldn't tell them Mm -hmm. that I wasn't doing exactly what they said because I didn't want to be a bad patient. You know, so it's shifting that whole empowerment. You know, now when I walk into my doctor's office, I know that there's two experts in the room. I'm the expert on me. You know, no doctor, no other person can be an expert on me. And I respect their expertise in their area for sure. sure. But you have yeah. yours. Yes. And everybody does have theirs, even if they haven't even opened, even if they haven't walked your walk, they can certainly start by just how do you feel? Yeah. definitely yeah Yeah. so that's the thing i mean the clinic where i work we're a medication management clinic so Mm -hmm. our primary service is medication and the psychiatrist we have to help people you know do well on their medication and so if they don't want to take medication we can't see them we can't offer them other services like our groups or i lead a lot of groups at the clinic and so do the other clinicians really great groups um things that can I like group therapy because it's very valuable in people getting the support from the other group members mm-hmm. and feeling not alone because other people mm-hmm. share, oh, I experienced that too and this is what helped me. Or, mm-hmm. um, so I see a lot of value in that group experience yeah. in addition to the individual therapy. Yeah, it's sort of like crowdfunding. Yeah, <laughs> in a way. Yeah. So what yeah. other resources for people, what other resources <laughs> could you lay down besides the books and things we've already talked about? Oh, there's a lot out there, okay. you know, and I would say for someone in San Diego County who is looking for specific resources related to behavioral health, mental mm-hmm. health, substance abuse, and other things too, outside of behavioral health, a good first place to start is to call 211. Um, 211 San Diego is like a clearinghouse. 211 San you just, Diego? Well, you, you can go on their website, or you can just pick up your phone and dial 211. Oh, 211. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you tell them what you're looking for and they pull it up and give you the information. That's so, a, that's awesome. So yeah. here's the thing is that this show is heard in I think 97 countries. Yeah. So, so I realize other places do have similar yeah, so types of services. In terms of what are your top 3 websites for resources? And I realize some of these international. Um well, regarding bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed working with the International Bipolar Foundation. Okay. And I've done talks for them. I've, uh, you know, I'm really impressed with their website. They have a wealth of information on there and they archive all their talks and webinars and um, on their website. So a webinar that I did for them last year in March of 2015 Mm -hmm. um, is archived on their website and it can be found. um, Actually, the easiest way is to Google my name, Serena Goldsmith. Mm -hmm. And it's, should be the first thing that comes up mm-hmm. is my webinar on International Bipolar Foundation's website. 
Um, but that website in general is awesome for looking for nice. resources for a bipolar disorder. Um, Dr. Klein has several websites if you want to look at um, GI conditions and healing those. Um, so one of them is digestionperfection.com. And I digestionperfection.com. Yeah. So let me see if I have any other lists here. She has a list of resources, let me tell you. <laughs> I have several lists, yes. Um, but I'm thinking international-wise. So another local one, which mm-hmm. I want to point out, it's called the Access and Crisis Line. Mm-hmm. And so for those who are in San Diego, um, if you or a loved one have a serious mental illness and are in a crisis mm-hmm. situation, whether it's suicidality or any kind of crisis, you can call that number and someone will answer and talk you through it and tell you the next step. If it's an emergency, call 911. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's also in several cities, the Psychiatric Emergency Response Team mm-hmm. or PERT. Um, that is part of a police department and they have a well-trained um, police officer who's trained in mental health crises as well as a clinician on a team and they go out to calls they're not, I know in Oceanside, they're not available 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they are available, we always like to call them first because they're trained yeah. in dealing with mental health issues. And I know for me, there were several times that I was taken to a hospital by the police in handcuffs in the back of a police car. So um, I don't know that it was the PERT team that did that. But they were. my experience was they were very kind. <laughs> oh, nice. nice. Yeah, but the, there's procedures they have to follow sure. and for the safety of the person. And everything. Sure. Um, but that's a little bit of a side part of my other story that I haven't gone into detail in. Yeah, yeah. Well, we could save that um, one. The Access and Crisis Line is 888-724-7240. And that's because they're available seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, And they're not just for crises, they're also for access to resources. Mm -hmm. So let's say someone has Medicaid or in California, Medi-Cal, and they're looking for a therapist, Mm -hmm. they can call the Access and Crisis Line and they'll give you a list of like three therapists in your area that accept Medi-Cal. Mm. So things like that, they're really, and they're part of the county um, service. Yeah, nice. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Exceptional, but truth is everybody that's been on this show is really exceptional. And I'm really wanting to open up alternative health, health tools to more and more and more people. We did the party last Sunday, and uh, everybody said, let's do it once a month. Let's not wait two years. Let's do it once a month. Yeah. So I'm trying Thank to figure, yeah, I wanted to figure out, uh, you know, just what, yeah. what day is going to be best and all that. So, yeah, I think that's powerful when you have a group of people who are all working to mm-hmm. help others and mm-hmm. make the world a better place and sharing our different approaches and perspectives and knowledge and experiences together. Yeah. Um, and collaborative resources. Yeah. It's you powerful. Know, it's, yeah. I mean, I just see mutual beneficial energy. I mean, that whole time. Yeah. It, and a lot of my conversations with some of the other people were related to that as far as, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, how can I refer someone to you and vice versa? Yep. And, yep. you know, I need to know more about that and yeah. it would help my clients. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to do that. So that's great. Is there anything else you'd like to cover? You know, I just want to say thank you for doing the work that you do and bringing this information out into the world from all of the people that you've been interviewing and the future people to come. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing that people have access to this information and I look forward to doing more. I look forward to writing books after I graduate. Um, Yeah, because I want the things that I've learned and what I'm continuing to learn to Mm be um, available to others and in whatever ways I can best do that. And now with social media, offering so many different opportunities for that, I'm very yeah. interested to get more involved yeah. in this area. Yeah. Well, like I said, it'll, this will be released this next Tuesday. And I know you're on a busy schedule, but even within a week or so, if you had time to do a video, like with what Carrie and I did, that'd be great. Okay. Because I know, I know some people are, I know some people are going to love listening to this and want to have a little chat. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So everything we mentioned will be in the show notes and uh, really encourage you to pass this on. And of course, you can always go to the website and go to the contact us page. And there's actually also a place there to 
schedule a call. And if you know anybody that you think should be on the show or you'd like to be on the show, just um, you know, schedule a call. And let's chat. All right? Yeah. Serena, well, thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Right. Thank you. Yeah.